This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. Okay, um, we've been going through uh, uh, the life of David as a church, and what I've tried to do is uh, take a little bit of that and a little bit of let's talk about dedications and stuff and weave it together. So um, let me pray and let's get to work. Father, we thank you for this day. Uh, we thank you for uh, new life. We thank you for your uh, Father in love and care for us. And I pray, Lord, this morning as we. Uh, walk through this uh, talk that you would speak to us, that you'd open our eyes and open our hearts, uh, challenges, refreshers, engages with you. Amen. Okay, so it's actually uh, a bit of a joke amongst my uh, friends who uh, are in the network that we're part of, church network, that actually we're meeting in Cheltenham Ladies College. Uh, and I, I think really in that sense it's a bit of a miracle that we're here, isn't it? Um, the, the thing is, uh, because I'm from, from Leeds, uh, from, uh, well, we, never, we didn't have a very big house, let's say that, I don't want to make, give you the poor old sob story, but uh, they do take the rib out of me, my friends that we're meeting in, in, in Cheltenham uh, Ladies College, and when I show them, they say, that's where you're meeting? That's not very you, Howard, is it? But it is very Cheltenham, so it's great to be here. And, um, but actually, I think it's, uh, uh, you know, without sort of cheesy linking it, which I'm doing, uh, it is a miracle that you're here at all. It's a miracle that any of us are here um, because uh, life is a miracle. Um, I didn't bring the book because my, my son has taken it to university. But uh, we got a book, if you've ever been to our house and used our downstairs uh, facilities, there's some books on the shelf. Uh, you obviously pass the photo albums. I'm not really interested in the Kellets when they were young. And there's three, four books called 30 Second Something. Really good books, 30 Second Economics, 30 Second Politics, and there's one on science called 30 Second Theories. Now, what, why I recommend those books and why they're good in the toilet, because in 30 seconds, 30 seconds you can read about really intelligent st- stuff and make you sound really intelligent. So I'm by, about to sound really intelligent, I hope, because I've read some stuff. And, but one of the things, if you read that book, is it, it's got theories about life on Earth. And one of the things that struck me was a, a picture of Goldilocks. I couldn't find the actual picture from the book. Uh, but uh, a picture of Goldilocks, you know the story of Goldilocks, that she's uh, tasting the bear's porridge, and the one bit of porridge is too hot, one bit of porridge is too cold, and the other porridge is, is just right. And actually, the, in the book, there's a, a thing called the anthropic principle, and, and from, from people, thropic meaning turning or liking, uh, it means, it, it basically is this idea that the, the world is kind of really well suited for people to live in. There's something um, almost like this cosmic welcome mat. Uh, the universe is, is, and life in it is, is just right for us to live. It's not too hot, not too cold. Uh, uh, and and there's, there's 15 factors 
I'm not going to go into them now, but there's 15 factors that are finely balanced, almost as if you imagined a row of 15 dials that went from naught to a million or a million million, uh, and they're all finely balanced to get life as we know it. Uh, Francis Collins, who's not a Christian, he's the director of the Human Genome Project, said this, when you look from the perspective of a scientist at the universe, it looks as if it knew we were coming. There are 15 constants that have precise values. If any one of those constants was off by even one part in a million, or in cases by one part in a million million, the universe could have actually not come to the point where we see it. Matter would not have been able to coalesce. There would have been no galaxies, no stars, no people, no planets, no Freya. Uh, and, and actually, the, 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 the whole thing's finely tuned. One of the, the, uh, I saw an illustration that said if you stretched a ruler uh, in inches or centimeters if you're younger, if you stretched a ruler from one end of the galaxy to another, and that represented the force of gravity, if you were to move the, the, uh, the, the force of gravity just one inch, either way, life won't exist. If you moved it one inch too much, then everything would collapse on itself. If you moved it one inch the other way, everything would, ex- would blow away. And you can do that with a whole lot of stuff, right down into the kind of center of atoms. The forces that hold the, the, the nucleus and the electrons of an atom together are so finely balanced. Not too strong, not too weak, but just, just right. And, and each dial is, is perfectly calibrated for human life. And that's just across the universe that, so that, that, that matter could exist, that planets and stars and people could exist. But actually, if you look at our... If you turn in my book on 30-second theories... Were you impressed by that? 30 seconds to learn that. Uh, if you turn again, there's another page called the Rare Earth Hypothesis. Hypothesis, because it's difficult to test. Rare Earth is basically saying that actually planets like ours are incredibly rare. There may not be another one like us. Now, there's a chance that, you know, you could say, well, there might be another planet just like ours. But, but on, the, on the slide, um, I, I just picked it off the internet, but there's, there's 20 possible variables that make this planet, like, perfect for you to live on. Um, so how big it is? So the, the, the gravity is not too big or too small on the planet. Uh, the distance from the sun... Obviously, too, too close to the sun, you're going to burn up. Too far away, it's going to be too cold. Uh, the fact that we've got a moon. I don't know it's interesting about the moon, because the, 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 the idea is that the moon smashed into the earth and t- tilted the earth, so we get seasons. Interesting, um, Vic prayed that at the beginning. She loves the seasons. But, but the moon stops us doing this, stops the planet wobbling. It keeps us kind of stable and steady, that keeps our weather and our seasons uh, uh, sorting out. The fact that we can uh, have water that exists as, uh, as ice and water uh, and, and water vapor is, is incredibly rare. The fact that we've got oxygen rich, rich atmosphere, a magnetic field that, that protects us, like this big shield that stops all the kind of rays from the sun coming in. And even the fact that we've got a big brother planet called Jupiter that stops kind of meteorites and comets smashing into us. I mean, you can read them there. I, 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 half of them I don't really understand. But it feels like the world. <laughs> It's difficult to, to see uh, more the, the, this, this feels like, is this a chance thing? I don't know if anyone's heard of this scientist called Stephen Hawkins. Uh, his motor neurons disease uh, sits uh, in a, an electric wheelchair 
it's a degenerative condition, so he's become more and more uh, difficult to move. And he speaks through a voice synthesizer. He's got a very famous voice, very clever chap, very famous uh, voice. And he said this. He's not a Christian, he's just a scientist. It would be very difficult to explain why the universe began except as the act of one who intended to create beings like us. That, that life, everything's so perfectly balanced in the cosmos and on the earth, everything's so perfectly balanced for life that you think it's almost as if somebody made it that way. Now you won't get to hear that if you come here in March at the Science Festival, that, that you won't to hear that. But actually, I, I want you to think, why is it so finely balanced? Why is everything so tuned so finely for human lives? One, um, one American scientist worked, worked out that if you, the chances of everything being just perfectly balanced for human life are like this. If you took a, a stack of American silver dollars and you covered the state of Texas, which is you know, about, half the, about the size of Western Europe, up to the, uh, uh, about a meter, and you took one silver dollar and you painted it red and then hid it in the pile... The chances of, of everything being so finely balanced for life is a blind person reaching in and finding the, the coin and picking it out in one shot. That's the statistical chances of everything being so perfectly balanced for life. Now, it's interesting, there's, there's different voices in this. Um, a guy called, uh, there's all, uh, you might need to get the name right because there's Hawkins and Dawkins. And Hitchens are all in this debate. But there's a guy called Richard Dawkins who wrote a book called The God Delusion. He said this. The fact is, you are here by chance. The fact is, there are probably trillions of universes existing over enormous amounts of space and time. And it's inevitable that one of them would be so finely tuned for human life to occur by chance. Flip the coin and there we go. Now, you might think, yeah, yeah, that seems perfectly reasonable. That, that, that life's uh, on a flip of a coin. In fact, with flipping millions and millions of coins, they're all coming down heads. Uh, Tom, do you play poker? A little bit. A little bit. Imagine you, Tom invited you to a poker game, and, um, and what happens is it, we, we, they dealt out the cards, and you deal around it, and you, you all put your money in, and Tom's, Tom's very keen and says, look, it's, it's 20 quid in. So everyone puts 20 quid in, and they go around, and Tom, after the, all the betting's done, Tom pulls his hand out and says, I've got four aces. What would you think? Cheap. You, how dare you? Look, there's this man of God. And Imagine that he, he did that 20 times. If you were in Dodge City, you'd reach for your six-shooter, wouldn't you, and go, Poof. yeah? But obviously, because we know Tom's a really nice, good guy, you'd say, Tom, I'm just really a, bit, a little bit concerned. And what if Tom said with a shrug, well, there's... Trillions of universes, and trillions of periods of time, and trillions of poker games, and you just happen to be in the one poker game where I get four aces 20 times in a row. Would you believe him? But that's what scientists are asking you to believe about the fact that we're here. Let's drill it down a little bit further. There's some Bible in here if you're a little concerned. But if you don't care, if there's no Bible, you're probably happy. Um, if, you drill, if you look at your fingerprint, why don't you do that? Try, it's a bit difficult. My eyesight's really bad. In fact, we went to a, a, a restaurant, which I don't recommend. Sorry if anybody's the owner of that restaurant. Uh, I won't mention it now because I'm just a bit nervous. <laughs> it does steaks. 
But we went to the restaurant, it wasn't very good, but I couldn't even read the menu because so, it was so small, and I thought it's clearly this restaurant is not designed for old guys like me who can't read. So I can't really see my fingerprint, but if you could see your fingerprint, it might look something like that. In fact, you know, don't you know what I'm going to say? It wouldn't look something like that, would it? Why not? Because we're all different, we're all unique. There's something unique about you. There's something unique about the person next to you. In fact, why don't we do this? If you're sitting next to a a girl that you're married to or you're fancy, you can do this. If you're two boys, just just be careful how you you play this. But why don't you look into the eyes of the person next to you? (laughs) Come on, do it. Don't be so British. And you look into their eyes and you see the thing around their eye that's called the iris. Every single iris, 7.125 billion people on the planet, every single one different. How can they prove that? That's a difficult question, I don't know. But actually, if you want to do the research and come back to me in 25,000 years' time, we'll do No, I think it's because they do the iris recognition, don't they? So it's a fact that, that it's beyond me, but that's what it's saying. But basically, that. Everybody's got their own unique DNA. Nobody's the same. Everybody's got that incredible system of information that, where did that come from? Who put DNA together? Think about it. DNA, the, the building blocks of human life, where did that come from? Because DNA is a kind of code, isn't it? Yeah, you get that? DNA is a code and that it's a chemical code and you need to, to have a code, you need a, to, to have a code, code maker and a code reader. Where did that just come from? Just by chance? But yet, right in the middle of of every cell in your body, there's something that says, perhaps these things, these four chemicals, and just arrange them in a code that that means something to when when human bodies are made, when Freya's knit together in Lucy's womb, that that those chemicals said that she's going to turn out like that. The code said that's what she's going to look like. She's going to look like Tom. (laughs) Bless her. There's something about human life that's truly amazing. And I know that if, you, if, you're, if you're married and you're, you're trying to have children, that I understand how difficult that could be. A really good friend of mine, his, his sister tried for a long, long time to have kids and felt the pain of not being able to do that. But if you're fortunate enough to, to be able to have kids, and Tom and Lucy, when they held... I mean, they're quite good at this now. They've had four goals. When, when, they hold, when you hold a child in your, in your arms... There's something wonderful, isn't there? If you're a parent, there's everyone else now. I'm not going to nod because he might be leading me into a difficult thing where I don't agree with him. But just there is something wonderful about holding your kids in your arms. And I know there's a whole lot of stress about, oh man, they keep you awake and that. But I was just saying to somebody in the break, my, my eldest just went off to university. I'd have all that time again. Because there's just something so wonderful about human life. There's something so wonderful about holding a child in your arms uh, that you don't really say, isn't this, a, like, isn't this an amazing chance coincidence? Now, I like to joke with my kids, and they're out on kids today, so it's, it's all right in youth. But I like to say to my kids, I made you. And you know what that does? And they go, oh, my word. I cannot imagine such a horrible thing as mom and dad. Uh, you know, please, please don't talk about it. But I like to joke I made you, but I know that really I didn't. I'm just kind of a 
Oh, important, you know, I played my part. <laughs> Didn't last very long, but I played my part. And, uh, and Naomi played her part. You guys, obviously, it's not a problem for you. Uh, but obviously, I played my part. But, but I know that really I haven't made them. This. I've just been a participant in something far more wonderful, something more, far more creative. And uh, I don't ever, didn't ever look at Zach or Jotham or Damaris and say, as one philosopher said, you're an amazing co- accidental co-location of atoms. We're not. We're much more than that. And, and I, you know that. And you might have your view and you might have your decision, but you, you, you know that. When you look in your mirror, you know that there's a you there. And you don't think I'm just an accident. And in fact, it's been quoted a few times today. David, King David, some of you might know him. David and Goliath, the, 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 the guy from that story. He, he wrote... And we're looking at his, uh, following his life, he wrote uh, a psalm called 139, and I didn't prompt everyone, but everybody seems to have quoted this morning, because it's a brilliant one for a dedication. He said this, For you created my inmost being, right down in the cell nucleus, right down in the cell structure, right down in the inner organs. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your workmanship is marvellous. How well I know it. You watched me and I was being formed in utter seclusion. I was woven together in the darkness of the womb. Your eyes saw me before I was born. I think Lucy quoted this. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment laid out before a single day had passed. Now you can say, well, this is 3,000-year-old pre-science Ignorance, he didn't really know what he's talking about. But actually, I think the more you dig into science, the more you dig into human life, the more you dig into cosmology, the more you dig into why we're here, you end up having to say, isn't life amazing? I think you have to, you have to push something down to say it's just chance. You have to know there's a sense where we're handcrafted, woven, knitted together is the words that David uses, almost uniquely created by God. He said, for I created your inside, your innermost being, I knit you together. Your workmanship is marvellous. And I don't know if you've ever had that scan. We've, uh, uh, we've had a run of babies in God first, it's been great. And uh, we've just had a, another lady who's pregnant, and she, I think about a week ago, went for a 12-week scan. And uh, there's something quite exciting and unique about that. I don't, um, uh, uh, who's, who's had that experience where they've... You can put your hand up. I'm not going to take your names. <laughs> uh, you you, you want to do this, don't you? You want to... Look at my picture. It's on the fridge. They print you three or four now, don't you? I mean, in, in my day, they print you one. It's like, if you want more, you've got to pay. Obviously, in Cheltenham, there's plenty of money. So they print... You know, you get a whole... And, it, and it's, wow, isn't it amazing? I mean, we looked at our, our, our third... One and we thought she's going to be beautiful. She's going to be a supermodel. Her legs were long. I thought, I hope she's not a bloke. But <laughs> you know, I thought. But you look and think, wow. And I think you can see the delight that we have. You can see that in what God does when He says this. I watched you. David says it the other way. You watched me. God, you watched me as I was being formed in the darkness, in the in the dark womb, almost as a scan in there. When I was woven together in the dark womb, your eyes saw me before I was born. And I don't think that God was indifferent about that, even though there's been billions of people that have lived on this planet. In fact, there's more people alive now than ever lived. Just work that one out. Um, But billions of people on this planet, 
I don't think God is indifferent about it. I don't think he's a, he's a production line God who's just punching out humanity. The fact that we're all unique, the fact that we're all handcrafted, the fact that we're all unique in our DNA and our irises and our fingerprints and our personalities, God's, God's not just cranking out humanity. He's crafting each one. Crafting each one. I mean, what's the alternative? To say, well, we're just atoms, we're just chance. If you, um, if you work out what you're worth, and I'm not talking about your net worth, your, your financial worth, what you've got in your portfolio or lack of portfolio, or how much your house is worth or not worth, which we seem to obsess about, but the only people that are winning are bankers. Sorry for that little political point. But, you know, we obsess about all those things. But actually, what are you really worth? If you believe you're a collection of atoms, you're worth 50 quid. Because 61% of you is seven buckets of water. You've got enough lime to whitewash a shed. Lime being calcium carbonate. Enough fat, I'm not going to give you the chemical formula for that, for seven bars of soap. Okay, C6, H12, okay. (laughs) Um, uh, You've got enough sugar for a small jam jar full. Enough salt for six salt cellars. Enough carbon for 9,000 pencil leads. Enough phosphorus for 2,200 match heads. Enough iron for a one-inch nail. Enough sulfur for a spoonful. And other metals, 30 grams. If you were to boil yourself down and weigh yourself up and take yourself to a chemical trade, you're worth 50 quid. But actually, we don't believe that, that what we're worth is, is based on the chance trans. Uh, uh, accidental co-location of atoms. We believe that there's something more, that there's something more important that makes you who you are. And I would say that that, 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 mo- that thing that makes you who you are, that thing that makes you your uniqueness, not just, is, not just your DNA, but it's that network of relationships around you. That's why family is so precious. That's why friends are so precious. No one else fills your network of relationships. You're defined by those things. And in one sense, you, you, you have your who you are, you have your identity in, those who, in who loves you. So to be uh, loved is, is the most amazing thing. To be loved make, makes you incredibly precious. And, and, but actually, the, the, the God we believe that knit together Freya in, in Lucy's womb, the God that knit you together in your mother's womb, actually is not just a creator. Much more than that, he says, I'm a father. We don't, he doesn't, Jesus doesn't say, pray our creator, which would be an amazing thing to pray. He says, praise our father. There's something much more close, much more intimate, that God is a father, that, that he loves us. And there's nothing that gives a, a person more value, more significance than being loved. And when you're a parent, I mean, I said goodbye to, to Zach uh, when he went up to Bristol, and his, his room did look, feel like a prison cell to me. It, it kind of like bricks, white, white, painted white bricks, two really thin slits for windows. I thought, poor guy, he's going to be living in this prison cell. I, I said, have you got any posters? You know, make it friendly. And he was like, oh, Dad, don't worry about it. And as we're going, I, 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 I put my arms around him, gave him a big hug and said, Zach, I love you. And I started to fill up, and he's like, oh, you know, he's like, we're just going to say, get a grip. <laughs> Naomi's like keeping it together and I'm thinking, oh, I'm going to be strong, but I'm starting to fill out and I said, well, today's not as difficult. And I was all right. And then I put the bikes away in the evening 
And where Zaki's bike was, was a space. And I thought, oh man, I'm going to miss you. Now, he hasn't died, but I'm going to miss him because there's, there's something about loving someone that just gives you fullness and something about being loved that's amazing. Let me just tell you a couple of stories and then we'll land this thing. Forgive me if you've heard this story before, but I, I picked up this story in the New York Times. Um, it was about four or five, no, maybe six years ago. Um, it's a bit hard-hitting, so I apologize. It says, an 18-year-old Kentucky woman was killed this Thursday afternoon after she ran in the road to save her child. She was hit by the, a motorist on Route 49, Tasha Douglas, managed to throw herself, throw her two-year-old son from the road, keeping him from harm. But she died instantly from the impact of the 1996 Chevy. It was, an in, it was an accident, said Sergeant Russell of the Sheriff's Department. The child just wandered into the roadway. The mom went to get the child out of the road, but she was unable to get herself out of the way. At the time of the accident, she'd just been packing the car and she'd said to the toddler, just stand there. And the toddler strayed into the road. Her uncle said she took her eyes off him for a second. And you know how two-year-olds are. Friends and family said her final act was a testament of love to the child she'd known and the kind of mother she was. Heaven's going, is this really disturbing? I'm sorry. Family and friends says this final act was a testament to the love she had for a child and the kind of mother she was. I don't even think you would have thought twice about it. And even if she had time to think about what she was doing, I'm sure she would have done the same. She'd done what every really good mom would. Now, it's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's kind of disturbing, but... Why do we do that? The, the, the biologists would tell you that you do that because your kids carry your DNA and you want them to survive. The selfish gene that you want your kids to carry your DNA into the future. But I, I don't think that's an adequate explanation. I think we do that because we're created in the image of a God who does that of a God who gives himself, a God who lays down his life for us. Let me tell you one more story, and then we'll finish. There, this is, comes from a book called Love Beyond Reason by John Ortberg. He says, the test of love is that it gives itself even when there's no expectation of return. He says, this is what makes a person truly valuable. And he says... This is a wonderful story that illustrates it. An eight-year-old boy, think Caleb, really, if we're going to do that, had a younger baby sister who was dying of leukemia. Don't think, hunting babies. He was told that without a blood transfusion, she would die. His parents asked if they could test his blood to see if it was compatible with his sister's. The little boy said, sure. They tested it and it was a match. And then they asked the little boy, if he would give his three-year-old sister a pint of his own blood, and because that could be her only chance of living. 
Little boy looked at his mom, looked at his dad, and thought for a moment and said, I need to think about it overnight. It's interesting when you hear Caleb making very mature comments. You think, six-year-olds know. And he said, I need to think about it overnight. The next day, he got up, and as he was having his breakfast, he, he, he took his mom's hand and said, I will give my sister the blood. They took him to the hospital, and they put him on a trolley, which was quite, quite scary, and they laid him beside his three-year-old sister. They were both hooked up to intravenous drips. The nurse began to take a pound of blood that would be given to his sister. The little boy lay silent as the blood that would save his sister dripped into a clear bag near the bed. The doctor came over and said, How are you doing? The little boy opened his eyes and held his mum's hand and said, How soon until I start to die? The little boy had gone to bed thinking, if I give a pound of my blood, that's going to be me. He thought it over and thought, actually, am I willing to give my life for my sister? I don't know if it's a true story, but it'd be great if it was, but, but there's something about giving yourself. There's something about saying, I pour myself out for someone that because, because they're unique and because they're loved, and I'm going to do that. And you know where I'm going with this. You know where I'm going with this. Why do we do that? Why is there something in humanity that does that? I believe it's because we're knitted together by God. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. And when we find God, when we live with God as Father, it produces that kind of self-giving love. And so as, Tom, I just want to say, as you, as you kind of take Freya and you take your other kids, and anybody else who's a parent here, that's what we're asked to do. We're asked to live so our children think, this is what God's like. That's the privilege and the challenge of being a parent. That you live saying, if I'm grumpy and angry and I'm never satisfying my kids, and I only delight in them when they do well at school, which is what my kids say about me, then they're going to think that God is grumpy and angry and always unhappy. And the only way to earn his love is to do your best. But if you really drill down in me, and if you really drill down in people and men and women created in God's image, there's something that says, no, I, I give you everything. You can have the whole eight pints. I've never been asked to do that for my kids. I don't know if I'd run the road to save them. But I know that the story of, of, of the Bible is that, that Jesus did stand in the oncoming traffic of our self-destruction, the oncoming traffic of our rejection of God, and poured it all out. Poured it all out. Gave it for us. So when you think about children, and when you think about yourself, think, I'm unique, and I'm precious, because I'm loved by a God gave in self for me. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.